This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 132. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to blog your book, and, and if you should blog your book. But first... There is some news on the personal front we need to talk about. I, I'm talking, this is big, multiple drum roll um, announcements. <laughs> Thomas, do you want to take it away? Yeah, so you know that old child sing song, first comes love, uh, then comes marriage, then <laughs> comes the baby and the baby carriage. Well, I have now completed the entire sing song. So uh, <laughs> The trifecta I, is done. <laughs> that's right. My wife and I, I are expecting a, a new little one to join our family here in October, and we're very excited about that. Okay, let's get detailed. What is the due date, Thomas? It's October what? It's October 7th. So uh, we may have some missed episodes about that time and uh, finding a quiet place to record is going to become a little bit more of a (laughs) challenge, I imagine, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, congratulations. That is just, that's so awesome. You guys are going to be phenomenal parents. No doubt about that. So congrats. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you. And to commemorate uh, the new baby, we're going to do something we have never done in five years of the novel marketing podcast. (laughs) So uh, until today, we've been focused primarily on fiction authors. And for those of you who are novelists, don't worry, our focus is still going to be for you. But we thought once every 132 episodes, it would probably be a good idea to (laughs) give an episode specifically for nonfiction writers. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) So we uh, were surprised how many nonfiction uh, writers listen to this show, and they kind of have to eat the crumbs from the table sometimes when we focus on novelists. So now we're going to make you your very own meal. And specifically, we're going to talk about how to blog your book ahead of time. Right. So we're talking about, well, we're talking about in in the intro, you heard us say that we are going to talk to you guys about how to blog your book. We are talking about nonfiction books. We're not talking about fiction. We'll touch on that just real quickly later on, but we're talking specifically if you're a nonfiction writer. That's right. If you're writing fiction, uh, blogging your book ahead of time is hard and not recommended. And the reason why it's hard is that fiction has to be read linearly. So for chapter two to make sense, people have to have already read chapter one. And when you first start blogging, no one's reading your blog. And so it makes it really hard to enter your story. It it can work. I know authors who've pulled it off, but it's very tricky and very challenging. Uh, and that's not what we're going to talk about in this episode. If you have successfully blogged your novel or if you used a service like Wattpad and you want to tell us about it, uh, shoot us an email. Maybe we'll have you on the show and we'll talk about blogging your novel. But specifically, I want to talk about blogging your nonfiction book. Since nonfiction books aren't necessarily linear, right? The order of the chapters often, you know, when I was writing my nonfiction book, the order of the chapters changed every month while I was working on it. And for the people who backed the Kickstarter, what they got in the final book ended up being very different because as I worked on it, I realized the order needed to change. Uh, It makes it much more uh, open for blogging. So you blog uh, material that ends up in your book and it can work out quite well. Now, I realize this is controversial. There have been several blog posts saying that this is a bad idea. In fact, that's what gave us the idea for this episode. Jim came across a blog post written by a very reputable agency and they were saying, oh, it's a real hassle. If you blog your book ahead of time, publishers won't want to touch it or you have to add extra language to the contract. And um, 
that post really scared me because I was afraid that if people read that post, they would be scared away from blogging or they'd be scared away from blogging anything that's relevant because <laughs> if it might end up in their book, they don't want to blog about it, which forces them to blog about boring, irrelevant topics, which is uh, not not a great strategy. <laughs> you need to blog on your area of expertise and at the same level of quality of what's going to be in your book. Yeah, the best material. That's right. So um, let's talk a little bit about why I'm so passionate about this. Uh, I actually did this. So for those of you who've been listening to the episode, uh, or for the... Uh, for those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I wrote a blog post a few years back that went viral. It was a single post, and it got over a million page views. And the uh, people who read the post wanted me to write a book about it, and they raised $11,000 on Kickstarter to make it uh, reality. And so then I was stuck writing a book, which I'd never done before. So historically, I've been the consultant for authors. I've built their websites to help them with their marketing. I haven't written books. You know, I do lots of blogging, but not a lot of book writing. And I found that I was really struggling to write chapters for the book. I was working with a manuscript developer and we were going round and round and you know, I wasn't happy with what was being developed and it was I was really struggling and at the same time I was writing blog posts as I was interacting with my readers on the topic of dating and relationships and courtship and I was finding that those blog posts I was wanting to turn into chapters. And so I did. I turned them into <laughs> chapters of the book. And after a while, I finally started just writing, starting the chapters off as blog posts because I found that psychologically that was a lot easier for me as a blogger. I knew who my audience was and I knew that I didn't have to have all the answers right away. Uh, and what ended up happening was that the feedback I got from my readers of the blog informed the book. Uh, And I could tell if something was making sense. And I could tell something was being controversial in the right ways. (laughs) And it ended up making the book a lot better. This is a really important point. What Thomas is saying, and this is why it doesn't work with fiction, but with nonfiction, you're getting input. You're you're getting a a beta readers all the time. And so you can emphasize the things that they're my, oh my gosh, we're really passionate about this. And the things that's just crickets, you can easily leave out. So it's, it's like, I don't know, it's free editing. It's free, um, crowd, uh, uh, what's the word? Crowdsourcing. So crowdsourcing, it's free crowdsourcing. Yeah. Not only was my book crowdfunded, but my book was crowdsourced in the sense that the, a lot of the feedback that I got uh, was from readers of the blog. Now they weren't saying, Oh, you missed a comma in the third paragraph. That's not the feedback they were giving. They were uh, responding to the ideas and they were helping to edit the ideas. And that's often what you don't get very good editing of your ideas from your editor. Your editor may not be passionate about your topic of your book. They may not be educated or aware of the topic of your book, and they're not able to really help you hone the ideas, and especially hone the ideas in a way where they resonate with the particular audience that you're trying to reach. Especially if you're traditionally published, you don't have a lot of choice in the editor, and the editor may or may not be able to help you. So they may be able to help you put together a good paragraph or a good sentence, but they may not be able to help you make your ideas really work. And that's where putting your material on a blog first can just be invaluable, so useful to see, oh, everyone misunderstood the point I was making, and they're all angry over the wrong things. Man, it's so good to know about that while it's just a blog post. (laughs) So when I put it in my book, I'm able to make sure they're not getting angry over a misunderstanding. Uh, The other thing to point out is that 
the, your blog is not a book. Uh, so your reach with your blog is going to be much wider than your reach with your de- uh, with your book. So people may spend five or ten minutes on my blog, but they'll spend an hour or two hours on my book. So it's a very, very different kind of encounter. It's a very different kind of experience. And uh, the, it's a fundamentally different medium. It's, it's as different reading a blog and reading a book as watching a movie and reading a novel. It's just a very, very different experience. Yeah, same story, right? If you're if you're talking about film, if you're talking about a, a fiction movie, same story. And yet it is. It's a it's a radically different experience. And we're going to talk about a few examples of that later on. But um, right now, I want to read this quote from you, Thomas, because I think this nails it. Saying nonfiction readers won't read your book after they read your blog is like saying that fiction readers won't watch a movie after reading the book the movie is based on. So think of yourself. Are there books that you've read? Let's use Hunger Games, because that's uh, that's one that became wildly popular. Did you read the book and go, all right, I've got it. I'm not going to go see the movie. Or did you say, I cannot wait for the movie to come out? I'm guessing for most of you, it was the latter. That's right. And the movie followed the book beat for beat. So it wasn't one of these movies where it was like inspired by the novel, and it's nothing like the novel. The plot of Hunger Games, the book, was exactly the plot of Hunger Games, the movie. There was very minor things changed, but they were very minor. And yet I read Hunger Games and I was the first in line to watch the movie. <laughs> I, well, I loved it. I thought it was well done. I, yeah, I, I, me too, Thomas. I'm with you. Exactly. And some movies like Julia and Julia are based off of books that are themselves based off of blogs. So you can actually take this the whole way. So don't believe anyone who tells you, oh, if you blog the book first, you won't be able to uh, turn it into a book. Publishers won't publish it. That's just not true. The savvy publishers, the publishers Publishers who understand marketing realize the value of a popular blog, and they're not going to want you to take those posts down, and they're not going to be afraid that there are blog posts with the same material up because they realize that that is building your platform and helping your ideas be better and more resonant, which will ultimately give you a better book that will sell more copies. Oh, and by the way, you have all these passionate fans that are ready to buy your book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, So another way that I like blogging is that it makes your book better. We've already talked about this, about finding out when your ideas are bad or they're not making sense. But it also helps you know when your ideas are good. So for example, I went round and round about whether or not I should include a chapter about the history of dating and relationships. I didn't think that most people would care about that. And so what I did was I wrote it as a blog post (laughs) because I did all the research for the book and I wanted to release it out into the world. And it turned out that people loved that blog post. And the young 20-somethings I was targeting with my book actually were indeed interested in history and the history of courtship. And it ended up being the second chapter of my book and it ended up being the most convincing chapter of my book. So when I'm making my argument, the the history chapter is the one that I get almost no pushback on. And what I've seen really changing the debate is the history chapter. More than all of my beautiful reasoning and eloquence and the arguments that I make, it's the history chapter uh, that made the difference. And that chapter almost didn't make it into my book. If I hadn't have blogged it first, I wouldn't have had the confidence to put it into my book. And you can get that feedback, not just from the number of comments, but also the number of shares on Facebook and Twitter, and ultimately Google Analytics. So what won me over is I looked at Google Analytics on that post and saw that people were spending five, six, seven minutes reading that post. I'm like, wow, 
these people aren't skimming it. They are like sitting down with a cup of coffee and really reading this blog post. There must be something here that should end up in the book. And don't let the technology intimidate you because technology these days, even the simplest, like Thomas just mentioned, Google Analytics, even the simplest analytics, and you can learn this stuff if you don't know it already, can tell you so much valuable information. For example, I um, am a columnist on Novel Rocket and will be a columnist on Learn How to Write a Novel. And I have written some columns where I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, this is killer. People are going to love this. And people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then other columns I'll write and I'll go, oh, yeah, I was kind of struggling with that. Not sure if that really is going to impact people. And you get this massive readership. So really, the survey of one being yourself, uh, <laughs> you're, not the big, you're not the best research subject to find out. Nowadays, with the technology, you can find out that information really literally at the click of buttons. Uh, this is an example from music, but Lindsay Sterling almost did not publish her song Crystallize. Uh, she wasn't convinced it was a good song, and that's to this day her most popular song. <laughs> so often you do not have good perspective on your own art, whether it's good or bad. Sometimes you're in love with it and it's terrible, and sometimes you hate it and it's amazing. And the only way to get that feedback in a true way is to put it out into the world. Having one editor uh, or one or two beta readers look at it is not enough feedback for you to really know and have that confidence because they could be wrong too. They may be telling you it's terrible and they're wrong, or maybe you're paying them and they want to tell you that it's good because they want you to keep paying them. Uh, it's that bigger audience and it's that analytics that really gives you the feedback. I'm not sure of the I'm not sure of the statistics on this Thomas so correct me but I believe once you hit 400 people responding to a survey you 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 start getting into the plus or minus 5% accuracy. Well, until you get to that point you're not sure. In other words, a survey of 30 people is not necessarily going to be that accurate. And so the more people you get with feedback on your idea, on your blog post, um, the better. I have a rule that I don't listen to anyone's medical study if it doesn't have at least triple-digit participants. So somebody will do some medical study on some like health impact, and they t test on twenty people, and I'm like, I don't. I realize that scientists may think that that's valid, but I don't think that that's valid. I don't think that's a big enough sample group uh, to to be valid. So that's just my own personal rule. Now I should point out here that a blog is not a book, and the best example of this is the first book I ever saw that started off as a blog. I was actually a fan of the blog, and the blog was Presentation Zen, and it was all about how to make better presentations, how to use PowerPoint or Keynote in a way that's not death by bullet point. And I was a passionate reader of this blog. I read every post when it came out. And the posts were filled with images and they were filled with video examples of people's presentations. And if you've ever seen me give a presentation live, I'm very much inspired by the presentations and approach. This book and this blog changed my life. And when the book came out, I was pre-ordering it. <laughs> you know, I, I ordered it. I ordered the special edition. I ordered every version of this book I could get my hands on. And the publisher was not a famous publisher that published this book, but what they found was that this blog had lightning in a bottle, and the book has now been translated into dozens of languages. It's in its second edition. It sold like crazy. And here's the interesting point. Those blog posts that turned into chapters of the book still exist online. And in some ways, the blog posts are better. So while they may not be edited as well, because the revised honed versions ended up in the book, the version on the blog 
has videos that the book doesn't have. The book's got photos. It's a full-color, beautiful book, but it doesn't have the video. So at one point, he he uh, compares Steve Jobs' presentation style and Bill Gates' presentation style, and he has embedded YouTube videos of Steve Jobs presenting and Bill Gates presenting, and there's TED Talks all over this uh, you know blog that are not in the book. And the book is a fundamentally different experience. The book is really good. The book is a more concise, you know, giveable version. I recommend the book all the time to somebody who's having trouble with their presentations being boring. In fact, I tried to get, I came across the blog while I was still in college. So this has been around for a while. And I remember trying to get all of my professors to buy the book in a like friendly way without telling them, your presentations are boring. <laughs> this is dev by bullet point. You're killing your students. It's <laughs> like, you Don't can do, do it, it better. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, when you read a blog, the other big difference is that the blog is nonlinear. So a good blog post may have a dozen hyperlinks, sometimes dozens of hyperlinks, each that go to other pages. This is one of the ways you can tell somebody who is an experienced blogger from somebody who's kind of an inexperienced blogger. Um, inexperienced bloggers don't put a lot of links in their posts. Uh, experienced bloggers will have a link on almost every uh, paragraph, both to their own related posts and to other people's posts. And th- But the result of that is that when someone reads a blog post, you don't know what they're going to read next. You know, they're discovering your blog like they're reading Wikipedia, and they're just kind of, it's choose your own adventure. Whereas a book, it's chapter one, then chapter two, and then chapter three. You can build your case in a more um, cogent way, and you don't have to, and you can assume in chapter three that people have read chapter one. Whereas in a blog, you have to assume that people are reading this post without having read any of your other posts. So you have to repeat yourself a little bit more. Uh, so... While you're copying and you're not copying and pasting from your blog to your book, I think this is a really important uh, point. You are using your blog as a rough draft for a chapter of your book or for a section of your book that you're then honing and focusing into the book. It's not exactly the same. Ideally, it's been tweaked and adapted for its environment. Real quick, I'd like to mention the featured patron for this episode. It's the Time Drifter series by Lauren Lynch. Uh, Explore ancient civilizations from a Christian worldview in the historical fantasy Time Drifter series, appropriate for all ages. Lauren Lynch writes faith-based, infused historical fantasies and created to challenge readers of all ages. After many years of focusing on the visual arts, she found she could also paint with words and now enjoys dreaming up stories where the real world collides with the fantastic. To learn more about Lauren and her books, visit laurenlynch.com. And of course, we will have a link to Lauren's website and her book in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. The other thing a blog is is it is a massive advertisement for your book because you are continually putting your blog out there. It's continually being seen by Google. It's continually being seen by other people. It's, uh, I guess one way to say it is it is a massive pre-launch campaign for your book. That's right. And what's wonderful is that it can rank on Google for years uh, for certain search topics and people will find that post. They're searching for something on Google and they read your blog post and then they buy your book. Or a post will flare up from time to time on Facebook. So my original blog post, which I thought would always be the most popular blog post, the one on why courtship is fundamentally flawed, is now not my most popular blog post. My most popular blog post is actually one on confidence. It's one I uh, wrote is for 
one of the later chapters in the book. Uh, it's called The Confidence Crisis, you know, why women feel undateable and men are um, feel undateable and why both of them feel like all the good ones are taken. And that post frequently flares up on social media. Somebody will find it and share it and a bunch of other people will share it. And I suddenly get this whole new wave of traffic to my blog and new wave of attention to my book that I did not work for and I did not pay for. And if I'm not paying to my paying attention to my Google Analytics, I may not even know happened because <laughs> I've turned off comments now on my blog because I've gotten tired of uh, dealing with all of that uh, hassle. But it's been very, very useful uh, in promoting the book in a very inexpensive and long-term way. Uh, so, so don't listen to your publisher if they say, oh, well, we'll blog your, it's okay if you have this material from your blog, but you have to take it down from your blog. That is very bad thinking. That's like a Hollywood studio saying, we'll make a movie out of your book, but you have to stop publishing your book. <laughs> it's like, why would you do that? They don't <laughs> compete. They help each other. It's like what happens instead is typically the publishing company will say, hey, we want to be able to license the movie characters. So Lord of the Rings for a few years has uh, characters from the movie on the cover of the book. And then you'll notice that they stop doing that because that's expensive for them. Uh, the movie company actually gets a piece of the action <laughs> so when they have uh, Viggo Morgenstein on the cover of the book. Now, uh, some people say, well, the contract that I have with my publisher forbids me. Thomas? Uh-huh. Thomas? I just realized, I just realized some, some of our uh, listeners out there are going to be offended that you called him Viggo Mortenstein. What's, what's his name? Mortensen. Okay, Viggo Viggo. Mortensen. I'm terrible with Hollywood <laughs> actors. I'm sorry. I, I, you, you should be happy I got just got I just his had first to give you name. a bad time. <laughs> I know you did. Well, it's an unusual name, so yeah, nicely it's done. One of the you only movies I actually know the names of the actors. That's how big of a or pseudo know the names. Of the <laughs> there actors. you go. Uh, anyway, you so go. some people say, well, the contract I have from my publisher says that this material can't be published anywhere else, and I think this is a really important point to underline. If you're traditionally published, and I realize most of you don't have to worry about this, you're going indie, is that that contract is not from God. It's not even from the government. That contract is negotiable. <laughs> There's nothing in that contract that cannot be negotiated. And all the time, savvy agents will negotiate away that clause or they'll adapt it uh, to exclude the blog. And that's perfectly fine. You should never approach a traditional publisher as if they are God and you're a humble supplicant. You are partners at best. Uh, your partners at worst, and at best, they're your employee. They work for you. Your agent works for you. Your editor works for you. And you need to be willing to push back and negotiate. And if you have an agent who's not willing to negotiate on your behalf, if your agent is acting like uh, they're on the side of the publisher rather than on your side, get a different agent. There are a lot of great agents out there. And you, if you're a good author, and especially if you have a popular blog, you have choices. So my blog post that I published, and I, I did it independent, I had agents who were very happy. I had my choice of agents who were very happy to publish it. They saw the traffic that it was getting, and they were wedding, ready to represent it. And one agent say, I can get you a contract in 30 days on this blog post. And you know, I chose not to do that because I wanted to move faster and independently publish it. And because I'm an indie at heart, I guess. Uh, but the reality is, is that 
<laughs> the secret is yeah. out. I, I think people have been suspicious for a while, but I'm now out of the closet. <laughs> and I'm now in they Indy. know. <laughs> wow, Thomas, we announced that there's a baby coming. We I'm announced that you're in Indy. I don't oh, have anything goodness. against people who want to traditionally publish, and I'm not saying I won't ever traditionally publish in the future. Some of my best friends are traditionally published, <laughs> like James L. Rubart. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not racist against traditional published authors. But um, anyway, the, the point, though, I'm trying to make is that you can renegotiate your contract and make sure you pick an agent who gets it. The next question, Thomas, this is a big one. This is a big one. We kind of touched on it already, talking about comparing a book, uh, a blog post um, and book to a movie, right? <clears throat> but the question is, why would someone pay to read your book when they won't read your blog for free? I mean, the information's already there. Why can't I just read the blog. And I want to give an example of something that's a little bit different than we've been talking about. And what this is, is it's a book called Hyperbole and a Half. Now, this came from a blog post and our mutual friend Susie Warren said, oh my gosh, Jim, you have to read this particular post from Hyperbole and a Half. And so I read it and I'm just in stitches, right? This gal, she tells a story, but she also drives these cartoons, these very simple cartoons of herself. And I, I was rolling. I, I was laughing so hard. Well, it turns out very shortly after that, the book comes out. And the book is simply a collection of the best posts, the best little stories that she's told. So she's gotten that feedback. She knows exactly the most popular posts or her publisher and she know that. They put it into a book. Well, I bought that book for Darcy for Christmas. Now, I could have said, honey, um, you know, just get on your computer and go read the blog post. But like you said, it's a very different experience having that book and reading it that way than it is on the blog. And so I bought it and the Dar Darcy liked it so much. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to buy this for our son, Micah. So that's one example of why should they, why would somebody pay to read your book when they won't read your blog for free? That's exactly why. And that's a really great point. Part of the value of the book is that it filters the very best blog posts, which can be hard to do on a blog. And since as the blogger you have access, you know which posts are popular, you have a guaranteed hit on your hands. <laughs> You've already tested this on the crowd. You know what <laughs> right. resonates. And this is really important. Now, I will say it also works the other way. If no one is reading your blog for free, you're not going to be able to get people to pay to read your book. And one of the big frustrations in publishing is that traditional publishers often don't know which books are going to be successes and which ones are going to be flops. If only there was a way to test it, to see if there's a market for the book. It's like, oh, wait, there is. It's called a blog. So for nonfiction, you can really reduce the risk. You can blog very inexpensively and see if there's an audience for your book or not. And if there isn't an audience for your book, you don't have to spend all that time and money publishing a book when there's no audience to buy it. And you are blogging on some obscure topic that you don't think anyone is interested in, and you blog on it, and the blog goes crazy, and you're like, huh, maybe there is an audience of people who want to hear about the history of courtship. And so you put it in your book. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question for you, Thomas. Uh, when you wrote that blog post, did you have any expectation it was going to go 
absolutely explode as big as it did. The history post I was not expecting to be popular. I was expecting my five nerd friends to like it and to nitpick it like crazy uh, and be like, I disagree with your historical interpretation. And I was expecting it to be very controversial. But it turns out no one knows anything about history. And I guess my historical analysis was pretty sound. I've not gotten any pushback on the history chapter. And I'm summarizing 4,000 years of history. And I'm not a historian. So I, I was looking like, this is a high-risk chapter to write. Uh, but the reality it was is people were like, huh. This makes sense, you know, because no one's really explained how we went from paying bride prices where the man buys the woman from her father to paying a dowry where the father pays the woman to get married. <laughs> it's like, that's a huge shift. How did that happen? Where did that happen? And and I didn't know when I started writing the book, I had to do the research. When I found the answer, I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And if you're curious, you can read it uh, in that chapter. And if you're interested, you can buy the book or you can just read the chapter. And that's okay. I'm okay with you just reading that one chapter on my blog and not buying the book because my goal ultimately is to spread the word and to fight obscurity because once people know who you are, the money becomes easy to find. We have a real quick case study on this. Jim, tell us about the book Stuff Christians Like. Stuff Christians Like. This is by a guy named John Acuff who has moved into other types of books and business leadership and uh, 30-day hustle and challenges and things like that. But Stuff Christians Like is really what put him on the map. But it didn't start off as a book. It started off as a blog. And it's one of those blogs, again, Thomas, where I'm reading this thing. It's just, it's cracking me up. It's so insightful. It's written in such a humorous manner. And you'll notice on the cover of this book, again, the the name of it is Stuff Christians Like, you'll notice there's this picture of a side hug on the front cover. Now, John writes about all these different subjects, right? Um, Like guitar guy, you know, there's always guitar guy in your youth group and everybody wants to be the guitar guy or hang out with the guitar guy. So he could have chosen, chosen a lot of different images to put on the cover of the book, but which one did he choose? He chose to feature the side hug, right? And that's the reason he did that is because it was one of the most popular posts from his blog, Stuff Christians Like. And so his publisher, HarperCollins, was smart enough to go, aha, let's take that recognition. Let's take people's knowledge of that. Let's take the, th- the, the truth that people will resonate with that who haven't seen it before. And we're going to put that on the cover so people will take a look inside the book. And an important thing to note here is that he wrote hundreds of posts about stuff Christians like. I think he was blogging almost daily for a while. So he has, you know, three, four, five, seven hundred posts. And some of those posts flopped and they weren't funny. Uh, They didn't resonate. People were like, oh, that, you know, maybe it was about some obscure aspect of Christian culture that making fun of it didn't resonate because most people didn't get that joke. And you know what? Those posts weren't in the book. (laughs) He only featured the most popular posts. And the other thing I think that's important to point out is that he did put things in the book that were exclusive to the book. Uh, so and I did this too so you can't get my entire book reading the blog some of the material is exclusive to the book so I'm not saying necessarily that 100% of the content has to be vetted through your blog Uh, I think that you can have a mix Um, I think that Johnny Kiff had about a 60-40 mix I think that that's a a good mix but it may be different for you I don't think uh, there's a clear answer to what the best mix is Uh, Jim I think for the cartoon book a lot of cartoonists uh, do have a 100% mix where every single cartoon that's in their book was first on their website. Uh, And I've seen that done quite a bit. So I don't know if there's a clear answer to this, but feel free to have something exclusive just to your book. You don't have to put it all on your blog. Yeah, that's a smart idea because then they feel like, oh, nowhere else to get it. I've got to have the book. 
That's right. So bottom line, as an author, your primary challenge is not piracy, it's obscurity. We say this quite a bit on this show, and blogging can be one of the best solutions to the obscurity problem, both for you and for your book. Uh, So it's a great way to test your ideas and find your audience and find your resonance to find which ideas resonate with your audience. Uh, It's not for everyone. You don't have to blog your book first to succeed, but I find it, especially for nonfiction, to be incredibly helpful. And it also helps make you a better writer. So we talked a couple episodes about writing short stories as a novelist. Well, writing a blog post is the nonfiction equivalent to writing a short story. (laughs) This is very, very similar. It's like a whole book, but in only a thousand pages or only 2,000 pages. And ultimately, I've been convinced that blogging your book ahead of time can help you sell more copies of your book, not less. All right, guys, this has been a long episode. And so we're going to talk about our sponsor very quickly. The sponsor is us. The sponsor is Patreon. And um, if you have not signed up for that yet, if you've not become a subscriber, we'd love you to go and at least check that out and see what it's all about. Um, You can go to Patreon. Actually, go to novelmarketing.com and you'll see a little button that uh, describes what Patreon is. Essentially, it's a way to support us and get some extra bonuses and some special behind-the-scenes features that you don't get as a normal subscriber. If you just want to keep listening for free, great, we love that. But if you'd like to support us, you can find out a little bit bit more about that by going to novelmarketing.com and looking for that Patreon uh, button. And there, our first bonus episode is live. It's a face. It's all of our episodes on Facebook. So everything, all the advice that we've ever given you on Facebook is all in one episode. It's for uh, novel uh, Patreon backers only, and you can get that in your. Uh, podcast player. There's a special patrons-only feed. We're going to have one or two bonus episodes every month. We have the bonus bundle and we have the Q&A episode that are patrons-only. So if you want more of the Novel Marketing Podcast, which I realize giving you a 30-minute free episode is probably a mistake on that, <laughs> but <laughs> if you want more more Thomas and Jim, uh, you can get that the same way you're getting this. Once you become a patron, you get a special link. You just copy and paste that into your podcast player of choice and you can get uh, even more helpful advice on how to sell your books online, offline, and everywhere in between. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., and with me as always is best-selling author James L. Rubart. Thank you for listening.